0: God has a mysterious plan for us to grow us and mature us. He is at work in all of our lives, drawing us to Him, teaching us to trust Him, and developing our faith. Inside of us is a new creation waiting to emerge, one that reflects the beauty and likeness of our Redeemer. When we trust, When we obey, we step into a new way of life. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Well, good morning, everybody. Words have power. It was just one word that God said and all the universe exploded into existence. And every day of creation, God said, and whatever it is he said to be created, it came to pass. Words have power, but not just words that God says. The Bible says that our words, our words have power. It has the power to destroy or it has the power to build up. Listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. The tongue has the power of life And death. You and I have the power with our mouth, with what comes out of our mouth, to either bless someone or wound someone. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 But I tell you that men, all of mankind, he's talking about, will have to give an account on the day of judgment. For every careless word they have spoken. If there is any verse in the Bible that makes that makes me shudder, it is this verse. I have said so many wrong things. And it's true about all of us. This morning I want to talk to you about that very subject. We're in a, a short series, a small series that is in Philippians chapter 2 called Becoming a Better Me. The very moment we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. And he begins to change us from the inside out. He begins to remake us into the character, the image of Jesus Christ. Now, it's still us. I mean, we, we still have our own personality. We still have our own talents and abilities. But he is changing our character. He is making us better. And so in the course of going through the series, we're learning the different ways in which God is at work in our own life. And one of the areas that God wants to change in us is our words, what comes out of our mouth and fingertips now with social media and all the communication. He is wanting to change us in this area. And we've arrived in Philippians chapter 2 to talk about that very thing. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. God is saying I want you to get in control of your mouth and your fingertips. I want you to get in control of your communication. Now, as I was looking at this passage weeks ago and I was sort of looking ahead and I knew we were gonna be dealing with this passage, I was thinking about it and I was praying about it and God began to burn my heart to approach this subject differently than I ever have before. So I'm gonna give this a shot. I'm, I'm asking for his help today. For you and I, To change our tongue, to change our communication first means that we get in control of our thinking. Have you ever connected those two? The thoughts that you have going through your mind connected to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Here is the truth. Our thoughts can either hold us back and restrict what God wants to do in our life, or it can set us free and propel us forward. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if everybody that is listening to me right now on all three of our, of our campuses uh, that are, uh, are around this area and our fourth campus, Darrington, and those who are watching online, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there were things that God intended, intends to do in and through our life, but we have held ourselves back with our own thinking. And this is why in Proverbs chapter four and verse 23 says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. What he is saying is this? What we allow into our minds to dwell on actually begins to control and change us either for the good or for our own harm. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever's in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the good treasury of a good heart. And the evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What it is that we have treasured up inside our heart, he says, is what comes out of our mouth. Now when he uses the word heart, he means our mind, will, and emotions. The thoughts that we think, the emotions that we feel are totally attached to what we have inputted. In a respect, we're all sort of like computers and we, we, we bring in information into our life. If we bring no good stuff, if we be, bring in evil stuff, evil things come out. If we bring in good stuff, good things come out. And what Jesus is saying, be so careful about what it is you are bringing in. What is in our thoughts come out of our mouth. So the way we clean up our tongue and our fingertips is we change what it is that comes into our heart. Change how you think and you will change what you say. Change what you say and you will change your life and change the lives of other people that are around you. This is why the Bible has so much of an emphasis on our mind and the battle that we face in our life is a battle of the mind. And what God wants to do is change our thinking. That's why he says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The greatest tool that God has used in my life, and he is so much still in process and will be all the days of my life, but the greatest tool that he's used in my life to change the way I think is his word. Every time I read the Bible and I really apply what it is saying to my life, I really decide I'm gonna believe that, I'm gonna act on that. It begins to change what I think and how I act. But the second most important tool that God has used in my life has been worship. Worship has had a profound difference in my life because all worship is, is really singing back the words of scripture, singing back the truths that God has told us and shown us in his word. I'm just going to admit to you this, that there have been many times in which I have in a worship time on Sunday mornings or Sunday when we had church on Sunday night, and in my own car as I'm listening to, to a Christian music or in other places, and I'm having a devotional, listening to music, there have been so many times that I've mouthed the words. I know the, I know the words, I know how the song goes, and there are some times that I'm just mouthing the words but i'm not really into that the truth is maybe i'm dealing with discouragement at the time or maybe i'm i'm dealing with some problem that i'm trying to solve or some issue in my life and i come into the service and i'm a little bit uh, down a little bit heavy laden and i and i'm trying to work through all of that the song service is going on and i'm mouthing the words what has happened to me so many times as I have been speaking the words, something sort of clicks for me, something, some switch happens in me, and I'm actually hearing the words I'm singing. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking to myself, God, you really are these things. You really are a great and mighty God. God, you actually do love me. I really mean something to you. God, you really are at work in my life, and you really are at work in other people's lives. And something begins to happen to me. I know this has happened to you too, but while I'm standing there and I am singing so many times, it is as though this roof opens up and I can see right to the throne of God. One of the purposes of our worship team is to help take us to the throne of God in worship. But they can't drag us there. There has to be an openness in our heart to see God. There has to be an acknowledgement. There has to be an openness in our mind to, to take those words and believe them and act on them. And those days, in those times in which I open my heart and say, Oh God, you are everything I am singing about. Something begins to happen inside me. What God is using worship to do is to change my thinking. And when he changes my thinking, suddenly things begin to happen in my heart. I love hymns, I worship with hymns, I can sing hymns all day, I love them. I also love contemporary music, I love it. For all these years I've worshiped with contemporary music and it's meant so much to me. And there's one particular song that I so enjoyed Singing, and it is called, What the Lord Has Done in Me by Reuben Morgan. And some of the words of that song we've sung here many times are these words. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. And it's because of what the Lord has done in me. He's making a profound statement. That who we are is not what somebody else says or what circumstances we find ourselves in. Who we are is who God says that we are. Our condition of our life is what God says about us. And then later in the song he says, I will rise from waters deep into the saving arms of God. I will sing salvation songs. Jesus Christ has set me free. You are not who your circumstances say you are. You are not what your fears say that you are. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made you have been chosen to be a member of God's own family before he ever created the universe the Bible says oh my soul how could have ever chosen me how could have ever invited me to become a part of his family yet he did and he has invited you to be a member of his family. The love and the favor of God is upon your life. You have talents and abilities and he infuses your life with his power. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. No weapon forged against you shall prevail. If the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Now that's truth. That's truth. And what happens to us so many times is that we're hearing what other people are saying about us, and they're wrong. We're hearing what the world says about us, and the world is wrong. When we take in what God says about us and we grab hold of it and we say, I'm never letting that go, it will change the way we think, and changing the way we think will change what comes out of our mouth. I want you to take in consideration a bumblebee. Here's a picture of a bumblebee. Would you notice? This bumblebee, according to the laws of aerodynamics, this bumblebee cannot fly. And do you know why? Look at its wings. His wings are too small. And his body is too big. And his wings don't have the capacity to lift up his body. And all of science says that. The problem was nobody ever told the bee. that He didn't get the memo. He never knew he couldn't fly. And what happened with him is that he noticed he had, fly, he had wings and he had this inclination with his DNA to start flapping the wings. And when he flapped the wings, he rose even though he wasn't supposed to. The bee can't fly and yet he flies because God created him to fly. And my question to you is, what did God create you to do? What is God's call in your life to do? He has given you talents and abilities. He's given you his power in your life and he wants your life to matter, to make an impact in this world, just like you are. Believe what God says about who you are, not what other people say. Start reprogramming your mind to think like God thinks about you, to see God as your advocate, to see what he says about you in Ephesians chapter 2, that you are a masterpiece. I'm serious, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He says, God has you as a masterpiece and he is creating a masterpiece in you. You are the right size. You are the, have the right looks. You have the right talents. You have the power of God resident living inside of you and he has fashioned you to make an impact for your world exactly the way you are. Change your thinking. Begin to think what God says about you, not what anybody else says. Several weeks ago, I read this story. It's a true story about a a young guy. He was in high school at the time. And and the guidance counselor of that school just made a terrible mistake. I'm sure she had given such great advice other times, but not this time. It was years ago, and she, he was talking, this guy was talking to the guidance counselor and she said, look, you, 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 you just gotta admit you're, you're not that bright. So when you graduate from high school, you need to seek out unskilled jobs because that's going to be your career. He graduated from high school. He didn't go to college because why would he? He's not that bright. He got a job in a factory, and for the next 20 years, he never got promotions. He never really accomplished much because he said to himself, I'm not that bright. And for the next 20 years, that was his life. And the greatest thing that ever happened to him is that he lost that job. That factory went under and he had to get a new job and he got a new job with a new company but that company had a practice that everyone before they hired them would have to take an IQ test and when he got the results back from his IQ test he was stunned he was shocked they were shocked he scored the highest number on that IQ test of anyone they had ever tested in 63 years of that company's existence he scored higher than the CEO He could hardly believe it. He accepted their job, but he didn't stay there long. He was sort of processing this whole new understanding about who he was. Now, how is it that he could be a genius and in high school and not doing well in school? I think it's sort of the the Thomas Edison thing where they said to him, "You're, you're not a bright person. I don't even think you can graduate from high school. One of the most, the greatest inventors of all time. This guy began to think of himself in a totally different way. He began to think of himself in the way that God had created him. And what happened is, is that after a few years, after it had all processed, he quit his job. He started his own company. He invented two products and got patents for the two products and then sold those patents for millions of dollars. And he became wildly financially successful. What happened? What happened? For 20 years, he had believed something about him that was not true. But when he came to understand how God created him, it changed the way he thought and it changed the rest of his life. What am I trying to say? What Jesus told us is, what we think is how we talk. So many people are so down, so grumpy, so mean, so upset all the time because something has happened inside of them that is false. Maybe it's their own image, maybe, maybe their own thoughts about themselves or their own thoughts about God or something, and they are so grumpy, they are so downhearted all the time, so mean, always see the, the, the worst in things, only because they have programmed their brain to think that way, when the truth is when the truths about who God is and who God made you to be would come and sink into that person's heart, it would change and everything in that person's life. And that is what Jesus is saying. How you think is what comes out of your mouth. So how do we apply this? First of all, to understand who God is, that he is in control, he's in control of your life and he made you, he created you, he made you to be a member of his family and he gave you talents and abilities and he intends for you to impact this world. Not just to live through it, not just to go through it, but he intended for your life to make a difference. And when you begin to believe that, when you begin to take the truth of what the Bible teaches about you, it will change how you see you and how you see God. God is at work in your circumstances. And so when the hard times have come and the difficulties have come in your life and, the, and the, 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 the hurts and the pains and the disappointments have happened and the failures have happened in your life, you are not locked into that. God has the ability to take anything that happens in your and my life and turn it around for good. And when we come to believe that it changes our perspective about life, Our circumstances don't control our destiny, God does. God is at work in the person that you're struggling with. And when you come to believe that, that even if a person's being mean to you, God is at work in that person's life and God can change their heart. Begin to pray for the person instead of criticizing them. Begin to love that person in spite of. No matter what they do to you, love them back is what Jesus taught us to do. And pray for them and wait for God to move in their heart. It will change the way you see that person. The Bible says that in order to change what you say, you have to let the Word of God so get inside you that it changes your thinking. About you, about God, about others. Line yourself up with the word and it will change how you think and what you say. Now with all that in mind, let's look at what he says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. He says first, don't pick others apart. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Paul is saying, stop being negative and start being positive. Stop arguing with others and stop criticizing others who do not share your personal opinions. This last year in America has been unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I have to be honest with you, I'm not on Facebook. I just, I opened up an account, I've told you this before, and I closed it down. I said, it's got too, it's got too many pitfalls. I'm going to just keep my mouth shut on the internet. And that's what I decided to do. Now, I do have a Twitter account for baseball sites, you know, the sites that really matter in the world, because I do talk baseball. But otherwise, I try to keep my mouth shut. This last year in this country, it is so sad to see what has happened because too many words have gone out. Too many angry words have gone out. Too easily the words have gone out. And people are just cutting each other apart and tearing each other down. I feel so sorry for the politicians during this pandemic. They weren't trained to, to deal with a pandemic, and they're doing their very best, but just ripped to shreds. In both directions. Now, does this mean that we're never to see something wrong and bring it up and and to talk about something that needs to be fixed? No, that is not what he is saying. We should have personal convictions that mean a lot to us and we stand up for those convictions. It's not, though, so much about what as it is about how. Yes, we will never agree on all topics, and we will have far more than one idea for every subject. And maybe the situation needs to be changed, and you've got an opinion. You're free to share it. I don't think that that Paul in this passage is, is talking about that. I think what he is saying is how it is we share it. This last weekend, I, I've gotten two emails from members of our church, and they were in both emails addressing different subjects. And they were talking about a different. Sub- hey, I've got a different opinion than you. But I would never show you the emails. I just wish you could see them. They were so kind. They were so respectful. They were so. Hey, I don't have the only opinion about life, and here's what I'm thinking. And you know, would you consider this idea? I loved them. See, it's not so much about what, it's about how we deal with issues that matter to us. And Paul is saying this, when when you are dealing with issues that matter to you and your response to those issues is tearing your relationships apart, you're wounding other people, you gotta stop it. You gotta stop it. You You gotta go at this an entirely different way. So how is it that we do it? Well, here's the first thing that needs to happen. Step one, we need to admit that our complaining and our arguing in the wrong way dealing with subjects is a sin and we gotta repent. The only way that we ever get over anything is that we admit that we do it. So get out of denial and admit to God, God, I have been addressing these issues so wrong with my mouth and my fingertips. And God, I'm coming to you and I'm asking your forgiveness. And then go to the person maybe you've offended and ask their forgiveness. Get this right. Second of all, develop an attitude of gratitude. Well, what does gratitude have to do with the issue of what we say? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says it this way. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that all circumstances that happened to you was God's will, so you ought to give thanks for him. That is not the interpretation of this passage. What this verse is saying is it is God's will that no matter what happens to you, that you are thankful that you have a right attitude in that circumstance, not for it. There's a difference about having a thankfulness for something and a thankfulness in. You know what? I'm not thankful when somebody does something really evil to somebody else. I'm not going to be thankful for that. And he's not telling me to be thankful for it in the verse. But he is saying, be thankful in. That's why he uses the word in. He doesn't use the word for. Be thankful in. Even the worst things that can happen in our life, even the most terrible moments of our life, even in those moments, we can be thankful in This moment, why, because God has already said to us, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you go through, I will turn it around for good in your life. You can be thankful in it. You don't have to be thankful for it, but you can be thankful in it because I'm going to turn this around to be a blessing in your life. You got fired, people treated you so badly, a great relationship in your life sort of turned sour. He is not saying be thankful for the bad things, he's saying be thankful in them because God will use this somehow, some way for good in your life. The greatest antidote for complaining is appreciation. The greatest antidote is appreciation. So stop for a moment. Let's take an assessment. I mean, count your blessings. I know that not everybody that is listening to me right now is lives in America, I know that. And I know you love your country, it is a great country and you love living there. But most of the people that are listening to me right now are living in the United States, and I personally think the United States is the greatest country in the world today, and maybe the greatest country in history. And I know that today there are so many people down on America, bashing America in the press and all that sort of thing. My question is, then why does everybody wanna come here and nobody wanna leave if America's so bad? Yes, we've got things we've got to fix. We've got things we can get better of and need to get better of. And the truth is, the same is right about every other country too. And the only reason is because every other country has people in it. But I love this country, and I am grateful for it, and I notice everybody somehow wants to get here. Second of all, I know not everybody that's listening to me lives in the state of Texas. I know that. And the state you live in, you love, and it's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you the greatest state in the Union is the state of Texas. And most of you, most of you that are listening to me live in this state. Look at what God has done for you. You live in the United States of America. You live in the state of Texas, for crying out loud. And most of you, not everybody that's listening to me live in Houston. But most of you that are listening to me live in the greater Houston area. It is a powerful city. It is a great city. It has got everything you can imagine that a city ought to have. It's got. It is a privilege to live in Houston. Look how blessed you are. And then this morning when you woke up and you drew a, ble- a breath was there oxygen in the air? There was oxygen. You you breathed in oxygen. There's so much oxygen that you could breathe all day. And it'd still turn out fine for you because there's oxygen everywhere. And when you turned on the switch, the light came on. And when you open up the spigot, the water came on. And we in Texas have a particular liking for electricity and water, especially lately. When you got in your car, those of you who on all three campuses are in person, you got in your car, it turned on. And when you drove here, your wheels did not fall off. They stayed on and you got here. And when you came in person, you are not gonna get sick, even though you came. And to top it all off, you've got the most handsome pastor of any church I can think of. What do you have to complain about? God has done so much for us. So, the second thing is an attitude of gratitude. Step three is this look for your pastor. I'm your pastor. (laughs) Woo, that's not true. Look for God's hand in your circumstances. Listen, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us tremendous and eternal glory. Much greater than the trouble. So we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What is seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Yes, you're going through some hard times. Yes, you're heartbroken about some things. Yes, things have fallen apart that you feel like shouldn't. It happens to all of us. But God is at work in your circumstances, and God is using this in your life. And open your eyes to the hand, the work of God in your life. Step four is this. Choose to use your tongue to encourage others not putting them down. In the book of Job, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts of the book of Job is Job chapter 16, verse four and five, and it says this, I could spout off my criticisms against you, and I could shake my head at you, but that's not what I would do. I would speak in a way that helps you. I would try to take away your grief. Anybody can criticize. It it takes no talent whatsoever to criticize. But when we hear ourselves and see ourselves encouraging other people and lifting up other people, you can know one thing. God is smiling at that moment in your life because this is what he has told us to do. Everywhere you go, every part of life that you're at, be trying to find something, some way for you to do something that's encouraging to others. Even if you're walking into a store and somebody's walking out and you say hi to them or you open the door for somebody or some little thing, you and I don't know what people are going through at that moment and it may be that was the very moment they needed some moment of encouragement. I've shared this story with you before. It's a true story. But it's been a long time. I want to share it with you again. The guy is named John and he, something happened. I don't even know what happened to John, but he was in a coma in the hospital and he had been in a coma for several months. His wife would come every day and sit with him and and she just endured week after week, month after month. And it just so happened at this very moment that their pastor of their church had come to see Uh, her and see John, who was still in a coma. And at that very moment, the doctor had come in. And I, you know what? Doctors are the greatest. It is amazing what they endure. It's amazing the wisdom that God has given to them. We thank God for doctors. And this doctor made a boo-boo at the very wrong time in the wrong way. He probably would have been better off just taking everyone in the room outside or just taking the wife outside and saying what he said. But instead, he said it in the room. We all make mistakes. And he said, look, you're going to have to get realistic. He's never waking up. This is hopeless. He walked out of the room and the pastor who was standing there, this is a true story, went and got in the face of John in the coma. And he said to John as loud as he could, John, I know you just heard what the doctor said, but he is wrong. You are going to make it. You are going to come out of this coma, and I don't care what he said. God is going to pull you through. And within two, three seconds, the weirdest thing happened. Water began to collect in both of his eyes, and a couple of tears came down his cheeks. He's still in a coma. John woke up a few days later. He woke up a few days later. And when he got things back together, he said, there were several times I could hear I couldn't move, I couldn't respond, but there were several times I could hear what was being said in the room. And I heard the statement that it was hopeless. And he said, I said to myself, I, 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 it's over, I just wanna die. I'm giving up. He said, then I heard What I now find out was the pastor's voice, get in my face and tell me that God wanted me to recover and that God would rescue me. And he said, immediately I thought, I want that. I want that. And he said, I started fighting the best I knew how to do. I wanted to wake up. And here's what I want to say all of us need encouragement. And there are people in your life and your family that need encouragement, not criticism. And there are people that you know that need encouragement, not criticism. Use every opportunity, every moment for encouraging other people around you. So put it all together. When we choose to not complain and argue, I'm not talking about standing up for things that are right, but how we do it. When we choose not to complain and argue. What advantages come? Well notice what the passage says. Philippians two, fourteen and fifteen, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above all reproach in all the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. He tells us two things. One, when we choose not to complain and fight, we are showing that our Christianity is for real. That God has changed the way we think and he has cleaned up our mouth. And second of all, when we choose not to complain and fight, we will be a light in a dark world. And I'm asking you online, I'm asking all three campuses, open your heart to letting God change this area in what we say, in what we type. Change us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd move in the hearts of people that are listening today on all three campuses no matter where they are in the world. And I pray, Father, today is the day of salvation that they would get down on their knees and pray to you and ask you to forgive them and come into their heart and save them. And Father, there be many who would come to know Christ as Savior. I pray for them. And I pray, Father, for people that that are listening and they want to join this church and they have such a sense of connectedness here that they would open up this opportunity to come to be a part of our church. And Father, all of us, to open our heart, to begin to think differently, to think differently. Because the more we do, Jesus said, the more we'll change what comes at our mouth. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.